get into the message. Today's message is entitled, Christ the Logos is Above All. It's from the book of John, and I think it's very fitting uh, for the times in which we live. I think it's very important that we keep our focus on the Lord, that we not allow the world uh, to uh, confuse us and draw us away uh, from focusing on Christ. And that's what the world tries to do. It says Satan is the father of lies. So he uses lies to distract us, to lead us away from, to try to, to try to lead us away from the narrow path. And Satan is the prince of this world. We are in his territory, but we are in Christ. We're protected in him. And I hope today's message helps us to uh, better commune with him, to abide in him, and gives us a greater understanding of the power and the majesty and the beauty uh, that is his word. What we're going to see today is the divinity and the sovereignty of Christ and the importance of seeing Christ through the doctrine of the Trinity as the second person of the Trinity. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to focus today mainly on the Son, but we will talk about the Trinity, we're also going to see that Christ is above all, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If we want to know who God is, that is impossible unless we know who Christ is. We know God through Christ. We know the Father through the Son. He is the image of God, and that is how we come to know him. Um, and really, with this message today, uh, one of my hopes is that more Christian churches would realize the importance of placing Christ above all rather than consigning him to a subordinate position after themselves, their own ideas, and their love for the world. Christ must be preeminent in everything that we do. He is our reason for being, and he should be the focus of the church. And I pray that that's how we would see him and then anybody that's not doing that in their church maybe would be reached by this message and we would put him back into the point of preeminence. It's very important that we do so. Let's look at John 3.31. Change the slide here. Whoops. Give me one second, you guys. There we go. John 3.31 and John 3.32. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. What it's telling us here is Christ is above all, above all rule and authority. There is no power greater than the power of Jesus Christ. He who is of the earth cannot grasp the things of God without God's grace through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that we who come from the earth, can grasp who Christ is, can understand the gospel, is through the power of the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to us. And through Christ, we come to know who God is, and we come to understand the Father. 
only through Christ. That's why John 14, 6 is so important. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to, to share today is one of my favorite stories in Scripture of two gentlemen's eyes being opened to the power of the gospel, to the truth of who Christ is. So I want to share this story with you, and it's not going to be on the screen because it's it's a bit of a long se- section of Scripture. But if you want to turn to it in your Bibles, it's called The Road to Emmaus, and it's in uh, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Now, this is after Christ, after his ministry, after he had been put on trial erroneously, a false trial, after he had been crucified died. He was in the tomb for three days. He rose. He's appeared to his apostles and to other people. And now we hear about these two men that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're trying to figure out what has been happening. They followed Christ. They believed in him, but they're confused now, and they don't understand the things that have happened because they don't know, I don't believe at this point, that he has risen. So let's read this. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? Now, notice that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. These guys were walking. Christ came up to them and started walking with them. But they did not. They were not able to know that it was Christ at this point. They didn't realize that they were walking with God incarnate with the son of God. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. So this is three days, I believe, after his crucifixion. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So just imagine the confusion of these guys trying to figure out what is going on. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So now Christ is starting to refer back to what? Old Testament prophecies. He's starting to bring to their remembrance the things that they should know by studying the Jewish writings, by studying the Torah. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, 
So Christ starts preaching to them and showing how he is the fulfillment of prophecy, but they still don't know that he's talking about himself. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go, he was going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were, this is the, the key verse here, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So what we see there is that the Holy Spirit opened their eyes at the proper time to realize the truth of the gospel, to realize that they were in the midst of Christ. It's, it's a fascinating picture of the way the gospel works in every believer. That's exactly exactly what happens if you are lost and you are dead in your sins and trespasses and you hear that gospel message. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit opening you up to the truth of that message, making you able to believe it because he has made you regenerated and born again in Christ. Only at that point will you see like these men saw. That's what happens in conversion. When we come to Christ, it's an act of God. That's why that story of the road to Emmaus is such an important one for us to understand and grasp. That's why I wanted to share that today. Let's continue. One point I want to make, I've referred to the gospel a few times here so far today. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what we should be meditating on on daily. We should be studying it. And the gospel is not the simple gospel that we think of uh, in an effort to win people to Christ. The gospel begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. The gospel is found all through God's word. But the point I want to make is the fact that a concept of a Jesus conveyed through a false gospel can be accepted by anyone. This is so important in the modern church. Anybody can come up with a conceptual Jesus that fits their own needs, that's very easy to sell and for people to accept that's contrary to the true gospel that we only get through God's word and scripture. So a a concept of a Jesus conveyed through a false gospel, it can be accepted by anyone. Why? Because there's no veil or blindness to be overcome, like what these men had to have overcome in them to understand who Jesus was. There's no cost to count. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. See, it's quite common in the modern church to pitch a Jesus that is going to get you everything you want out of this world. Your financial situation will improve. Uh, You'll have more money. You'll have a better house. Your life will be comfortable and prosperous. That's that prosperity gospel that's leading so many astray. There's no cost to count. So following Jesus, it's an easy decision. Well, if this guy's going to give me everything I want, why not follow him? You see, no, Jesus says count the cost, because what happens when you start following Christ? Where are you? You are behind enemy lines serving the enemy of the world. You see, we must count the cost to follow a Christ, a a false Christ. There's also what? There's no regeneration. If you're following a false Christ, there's no regeneration. And there's also no transformation. You remained as you were. You've just sort of taken on a new hobby. You're not following the true Christ. And also, what is there not? There's also no salvation 
in a false Christ. That's why Paul says in the Bible, if anyone comes to you preaching a gospel contrary to the one that we preached you, let him be accursed. You see? Think of that verse when you hear the garbage that's put out in the name of Christ by so many nowadays who seem to be who seem to who claim to be Christian. Think of that. Think of the Mormon religion. Think of what the Roman Catholic Church tries to put out. Think of all these false messages guised in the name of Christianity that are not true. Paul was totally against that. Christ was against that. There is one true gospel. That's what I'm trying to hammer home today, is that we have to seek the true Christ, and we're only going to know the true Christ, how? Through his word, through scripture. See? Because unless you're in the true Christ of scripture, through the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to follow a false Christ. You have to stay on the narrow path of truth. And sadly, the dead of this world will plod along after the dead without question or concern in blissful ignorance, hating the truth. Quite often, you know when you're, when you're sharing the truth with someone because what? The truth gets a strong response. If someone is following a false Christ and they believe that they are, that, that Christ is true and they don't want to hear the truth of the gospel, they lash out against it. You see? But what we have to understand is that Christian Christianity has always been a belief that works in small percentages, in the remnant. You see, Christianity is not a universal belief system. It's exclusive, and it's intolerant, and there's only one way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That gets rid of everything contrary to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Calvin said when he says that no man receives his testimony, he means that there are very few and almost no believers when compared with the vast crowd of unbelievers. Romans 11.5 says in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. A remnant. Do a word search on that if you have Bible software or, or go to a concordance. The word remnant is all through scripture. And that's especially what we see today in the modern church. The common consensus among solid biblical Christian leaders, pastors, and teachers in this day and age is that probably 90% of professing Christians, at least in America, have no understanding of the gospel and are not saved. They're not really Christians. Maybe 10% of the church is the true genuine church, the bride of Christ. That's just the fact of how it is. There is a remnant, and it's always been that way. You want to be in that remnant, in that truth, on that narrow path, seeking and serving the Lord. You see? Sorry, I forgot to share that last verse with you guys. Romans eleven five. Now let's look at John three thirty three, the next verse in our text today. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. He who has received our testimony, his testimony, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, has set his seal to this, that God is true. The one who receives Jesus' testimony is blessed beyond measure by God's grace to be brought into his glorious and awesome truth. The fact that we believe is not by our own power. Even the fact that we believe is all of God. 
It's only by God's grace that we can believe and follow Christ. Let's look at Romans 10, 11 through 14, Romans 10, 17, and Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, which talk about what I'm trying to get across here. Romans 10, 13 through 14, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So it's showing us the importance of preaching the true gospel message. That's what brings people, by God's grace, to faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Christ. Faith comes through the word of Christ. This is the importance of Scripture. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to exert careful to observe my ordinances. The point that's being made here is what I spoke about a few seconds ago. It's fascinating because our decision to believe, our coming to faith, is by no power of our own. The only reason we believe is because we've already been born again. We're already regenerated by God's grace in Jesus Christ. And he brings us to faith. He brings us to belief. You see? It's wonderful. But notice he says, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this. So if we claim that we are in Christ, that we understand the gospel, we believe the gospel, and we trust and have faith in Jesus Christ, we set our seal to that truth. It means that it's sealed up. We attest to it. We confirm it, and we are committed to it without question. It is the guide and the meaning and the reason for our life from that point forward, because outside of that, there is no life. And then he also says what? We set our seal to this, that what? That God is true. What that's saying is that God is true. God's gospel is true. God's plan of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. The things that we hear in his word are true. We are setting our seal and saying, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no question about it. I place faith in Christ because I've set my seal to that. You see, I will follow him, believe in him and no one else. You see, it's beautiful. There is no other truth than God. His word is truth. Now, this is where this message gets really interesting because I keep referring to the gospel in what? The scriptures, which is what? God's word. God's word is truth. And now let's take it a step further. God's word is also a person. God's word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. So now I want to move back in the book of John. We're in chapter three. I want to go way back to the beginning of the book of John to one of the most profound portions of scripture for us to study. Let's look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. So in the beginning was the word, notice capital W, and the word, capital W, was with God. (coughs) Excuse me, and the word, capital W, was God. 
The reason those W's are capitalized in each instance of that word, word, is why? Because it's referring to God. It's referring to Christ. So the word is a person. Christ is the word. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now let's look back if we consider what is Genesis 1-1 saying at the very beginning of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what that tells us is that in the work of creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit acted together. And that's what we're going to see here if we look at Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, Excuse me, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Look at the capitals here. The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. Then God said, God is capitalized, the Father. Let there be light, and there was light. Now, those two instances of the word light in Genesis 1, 2 are not capitalized. So he's just talking about the light of the world, the, the light that's in the world, I guess you could say. But then we look at John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light with a capital L of the world. And he who follows me, capital M, will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light, capital L, of life. Why are those capitalized? Because Christ is saying that light is me. He is the light. So all the life, all the light that we see and experience, whether we're believers or unbelievers, all of that is from Jesus Christ. He is the light. He is the source of all light. You see? The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And now let's look here and see the Trinity. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God, the Father, said, let there be light, and there was light. That was from the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, right there at the beginning in Genesis 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. It's amazing. So Jesus is that light. But now I want to look at the word word. Why is the word word capitalized? Word in Greek is logos. In logos, you could define it as the divine expression. So word in Greek is logos, and logos is defined as the divine expression. Ancient Greek philosophers had special uses for the term logos. Greek philosophers used to study everything. If you read where Paul went to Athens, there were statues of all these different gods that these Greek philosophers and religious people would worship because they just had all these philosophies on what made the world what it is. What was the what is the reason for living? Why are we here? Where do we go after we die? They just spent so much time trying to figure out and discussing what the world was all about, what life was all about, why, why we are here, you see? And they took this word logos as almost the, the word that this is what we're trying to figure out. What is the logos? What does it all mean? What is the, the divine expression that we're seeking? That's what logos tended to mean. So ancient Greek philosophers, 
philosophers had special uses for the term logos. They used the word logos to describe the ultimate reality that they were pursuing. You could say that it was an impersonal, rational force, an organizing principle that gives life and meaning to the universe that cannot love or interact with the world. So you can almost see that, you know, if you study Greek mythology, how the gods are here, people are here, and they're pretty much separated, two different uh, existences, I guess you could say. This is where it gets really interesting. John took the Greek word and transformed it here. You see? He's taking the Greek word and he's transforming it. John made the logos personal, something that could be received or rejected by human beings. Then he took it further and saying that the logos could actually incarnate as a human being. So this must have just been mind blowing for the Greek people. <clears throat> he's saying the logos actually became a person. Fascinating. But what we understand in Christ is that the Logos, the Word, is God himself, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Very important thing to, to study in Scripture is that word Logos, or, or, or why is Christ considered the Word? And that's what we're trying to get into right now. So John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is was and always will be God. Even during his incarnation, he never ceased to be God. In scripture, it says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's one of the strongest verses we can read to bolster our faith. See, as humans, we may get up one day and be in a great mood, get up the next day and be anxious or frustrated or fearful, but nothing changed. You see, we're sort of, uh, we fluctuate, we're tossed to and fro by the, the, the things that affect us in this world. But we have faith in the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Why? Because he is God. You see? Let's look at John 1, 2, and this will help explain this further. He was in the beginning with God. So the word, Jesus was was and had a being before creation or the world ever had a beginning. Now, it's really sad because they've done studies with the modern church in which, which they've asked professing Christians certain doctrinal questions to see how knowledgeable our people are, modern Christians are, of Christian truths. You'd be surprised how many modern Christians think Christ was created by the Father. No, he wasn't. See, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been God. And that's what this gets to. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was, is, and always will be God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is crucial to understanding the gospel message. Now let's look at John 1, 3. All things came to being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. Christ is I guess you could say the vessel through which everything was created. You see, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Genesis 1-1 says that God created all things. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are one. But now I want you to try to get your head around and our spirits around why it says Christ is the word. So let's consider the word conceived 
And then let's also consider the word spoken. Okay, the word conceived and the word spoken. In conceived, we could consider it to be the thought or the conception of the soul, the thought of God, the word conceived. Spoken, we could look at as Christ the word by whom God has spoken to us, by whom creation came about. Christ makes God God's mind mind known to us. <clears throat> That's why Christ is the word. We cannot know God except through Christ. Why? Because he is the expression of God. He is the word of God. Only through him do we come to know him. When it got when God's word is what made creation, it was through Christ. You see? And really, what do we come to know when we study Christ to know God? What one word sums up really how we come to know God through that, through him? Love. You see? If you look back all through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, if you really study the gospel, what just keeps pouring out of it? God's love for those he came to save in the person of Jesus Christ and through the message of the gospel. You see? It's fascinating. Let's look at Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. In these last days, he has, uh, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the source of all creation. All creation holds together through him. We can only know God through the Son. If you want to see God, you can only see God through the person of Jesus Christ. He is how we experience and know the Father. See? It's beautiful. Let's look at John 1 4. And this is this is one of my favorite verses in scripture. So if we look at the preceding verses, uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God in verse two. And then in three, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then you go forward to John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is one of the most profound truths in Scripture. The Word, God, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And through him, what do we see? God's glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full, from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a powerful portion of scripture. Try to get your head around John 1.14. It's so, just a profound verse of scripture. Back to the topic of faith. I want you guys to consider that God is true to all the promises he has made concerning Christ and all the promises he has made in Christ. Understanding that Christ is the word, through him we know the Father. Then go into the word, start studying the promises of God. Look at the promises that we have that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the promises that we hope for, that we look forward to in Jesus Christ. 
and then abide in that. That's why Christ says, abide in me, abide in my truth. The only way we're going to have hope, the only way we're going to abide in the light of Jesus Christ is understanding his position in the Trinity, is understanding his position to the Father, and understanding how he saves us through that plan of salvation. That's why it's so important to spend as much time as you can in the study of the Word and listening to solid biblical doctrine. You see? Let's look at John 3, uh, 34 and 35. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit Without measure, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Because Jesus came from heaven, he shows us the will of God in heaven and the way to heaven. Again, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The only way we can even begin to grasp the mind of God and the truth of God is to come to know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals to, reveals to us the nature, the mind, and the will of God. Through God's word and the Holy Spirit is what enables us to understand God's word. You see? But he says, the spirit without measure, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. All the prophets since the beginning were blessed with the spirit of in differing degrees and measures. If you look at all the prophets in scripture, some of them saw to a certain distance in the future. Some saw further. Some prophesied just very specific things. Christ has that spirit fully. You see? He has the spirit without measure. He is the fullness of God. You see? Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why? Because he is God. All authority has been given to him. Everything is subject to the authority and the power and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He has the spirit and he has all authority without measure. So, folks, I want you to think about this. So much of what we have. Think of everything I've shared about Christ today, which is I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, it takes a lifetime to even begin to understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But think of this. So much of what we have in Jesus Christ is missed through lack of faith. So much of what we could have in Jesus Christ, what we could experience and be blessed with in him, the joy that we could live with, is missed through lack of faith. So much of the Spirit passing from the loving hand of God through the blessed and worthy hand of Christ is stifled by fear, anxiety and our compromising and capitulation to the things of this world. Why do so many modern churches spend so much time pragmatically trying to compromise with the world to fill seats, to make sure they don't offend people, avoiding certain portions of the gospel because they know it might turn people away? not talking about sin and God's wrath and these things that we have to hear for the gospel to make sense. Why are those things rejected? Faith. Because they don't have faith in them. They're relying on something other than Christ, other than the truth of his word, because they don't have enough faith in it to just stand on it. They're afraid afraid of what it might do. 
and the harm that they think they might suffer because of it. And because of that, what do they miss? Blessings. And you miss a harvest. You miss being fruitful. God's grace and love and blessings and glory are poured out to us through Jesus Christ. But we have to have the faith to follow him without compromise, regardless of what the world is doing, regardless of the temptation to trim parts of the gospel away, to make it more palatable to worldly taste. No, we stay on the narrow path. We preach the gospel without compromise and we move forward in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, if we trust in that, will do what he's going to do and what he has done since the beginning of the church. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 10. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. See, we can't even in Christ. Even if we've spent years following Christ, studying his word, striving to be conformed to his image, and the Holy Spirit has blessed us with so much understanding, there's still so much that we need to know. But we're blessed because we get to walk in faith. And that's what we've got to strive to do, to walk in faith, to not compromise the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves without compromise so that we grow in Christ and we don't neglect any part of the gospel and to preach the gospel to others without compromise. It is so needed in this world right now. Like I said, 90% of the Christian church doesn't even know the gospel and that has to go for the pastors as well. We've got to get back to that uncompromised proclamation of the gospel and we will see the true church flourish through it. Folks, never settle for less than everything Christ is. Never settle for less than everything Christ is. And so many do nowadays, just out of fear and confusion and anxiety. Never settle for less than everything Christ is. Let's look at John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not opinion. It's not theory. It's not philosophy. It is the only infallible and pure truth, the revelation of the eternal mind of God that we come to know through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 43.3 says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. And Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 119 is the long, longest of the Psalms, and it talks almost exclusively about God's word. If you want to understand a proper perspective and how to view God's word. Spend some time just reading Psalm 119. You could spend weeks in it, months. It's a beautiful psalm about God's word. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. 
John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. The Christian faith cannot be tailored and customized as is so often tried, like I was just talking about, in the modern age. People want a Jesus that is customized for their own taste and their own comfort. I have heard so many Christians completely reject portions of Scripture because it does not fit with sin in their life. They want to continue in something that is contrary to Christ, contrary to the commands of Scripture. They love what they're doing, and when they're confronted with it, I've had people flat out tell me, that's not my kind of Christianity. That's customizing Christ. That's trying to make him what you want him to be and conforming him, trying to conform him to your image rather than you being conformed to his image. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will try to be conformed to my image according to my word in scripture. Folks, there are entire denominations and Christian churches and movements that have tried to create a custom tailored Jesus that fits what they think are their needs. It's so common in the modern church. It's, it's, it's pathetic. And we've got to get rid of it. We've got to get back to following who Christ is according to his word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's such a simple thing to do. You just live according to the word. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. Are we going to fail daily? Yes. But that's why we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not in our own righteousness. But he looks at our heart knowing what we're striving to do rather than our outward works because we constantly struggle and fumble in those. You see, but we need to be striving for the perfection that we need to try to have in Jesus Christ. What does Christ say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. An impossible command, but we strive for that perfection. And when we fail, we go to our knees, we pray for forgiveness, we repent, and we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But you cannot tailor or customize the Christian faith, which is the common practice in so much of the modern church. Now, what does it say? Who who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So let me ask you this, folks. This is another one that is so neglected in the modern church. What does Jesus save us from? What did he die on the cross for? What did he suffer and endure on our behalf? What did he save us from? People might say, oh, he saved us from going to hell. He saved us from eternal damnation. He saved us from the Father's wrath. He saved us from God's wrath. If you're not in him, that wrath still abides on you. If you are still living in your sins and trespasses, you're dead in your sins and trespasses, and you cannot say that you truly have faith in, you trust in, and you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, then God's wrath abides on you, and you will suffer that wrath on Judgment Day because you will be outside that remnant, which is the true church of Jesus Christ. You will not be part of the bride of Christ. Such an important thing to understand. Let's look at John 3, 16 through 18. It's fascinating. John 3, 16 is probably the verse that most Christians memorize when they're kids in Sunday school. But you've got to get the proper context of John 3, 16 by continuing into verses 17 and 18. Let's look at that here. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why? Because judgment, those are already, we're already in condemnation because of our sin. You see, he who believes in him is not judged. He who, he who does not believe. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Sorry, you guys, for some reason. Stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Google's listening to me. Let's go back a screen. It's so weird when your computer just listens to what you say and starts giving you definitions for something you didn't ask for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you look at the ESV, it says you're condemned already. And see, this is where people get things so wrong. You'll hear atheists say, I don't want anything to do with a God who's going to send me to hell or condemn me if I don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what happens. You're already condemned. You see, if you're not in Christ, you are remaining in condemnation. That's why it says he saves us. He takes his remnant that he came to save and he lifts us out of that condemnation and sets us in freedom and glory and salvation in Jesus Christ's righteousness. That's imputed to us because he takes us out of our condemnation. He saves us from it. Such an important thing for us to get our heads around and to try to understand the truth of. I want to close with Colossians 1, 13 through 18. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Picture that, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son from the domain of darkness, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Notice the image of the invisible God. You can't see God outside of Jesus Christ. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. We did a couple sermons on the topic of heaven. What did we come to the conclusion that heaven is all about? Christ. We can speculate all day long about what heaven's going to be like. Are we going to float around like in this ethereal plane like angels and just float around for eternity? Are we just going to have happiness because it's there? No, we're we're not even going to be able to explain the happiness and the bliss and the joy that we'll have in heaven. Why? Because Christ will have first place in everything. He will be the source. He is the source of all light all joy, all happiness, and peace that we will have in heaven when we are with him, you see? So the gospel, God's word from Genesis to Revelation, everything points to Christ. Everything points to him. He is the logos, the word of God, and he is above all. Christ is the logos, the word of God, 
and he is above all. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today, and I ask that each person that has heard this message today and those that will hear it uh, will understand more of you. It will strive to grasp the meaning of the word, the meaning of logos, and to better understand that you are above all. There is none greater than you. You truly are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything is subject. Everything is uh, under your subjection, under your power and your sovereignty and your dominion. Lord, I just pray that you would enable each of us to live in a, in a way that honors, serves, and glorifies you. And as we go into the coming week, Lord, that you would open doors of opportunity for us to share these truths with more uh, that are lost in the darkness and that with the, with our brothers and sisters that might be struggling and with those that are uh, involved in false teachings, that this truth may uh, enable them to be freed from those things. And we just ask that you'd enable us to be proficient in sharing the gospel to everyone that we can. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, everybody that joined in today. Uh, if you'd like to go to our website, it's at the way, the letter R122.org. The best way to remember that is our mission verse is Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you'd like to email us, I'd love to hear from you. You can email us at the way ministry church at outlook.com. Uh, please consider supporting the ministry. There is so much we are involved in with the church here with recovery reformation, which is mainly online trying to reach out to those that are trapped in addiction or trapped in uh, apostate recovery programs to bring them to the truth of the gospel. And we have a lot going on in Kenya. I'm hoping to get back there in September. If all this insanity with this coronavirus stuff comes to an end, hopefully by then uh, my next trip will be in September. We've got five locations there that are growing like crazy. And those people very much are in need right now because of famine that is coming because of the locust swarms in Kenya. We are very much involved in trying to get clean water to everyone we can there. Uh, but with this downturn and so many people being locked down, uh, I'm sure every church and ministry is experiencing this. Uh, offerings are down, but we do need help. If you'd like to help us, just go to the way, the letter R122.org. Go to the donate page and you can donate right there. We would so much appreciate the help. Uh, we need the body of Christ to help us so we can go out and reach more with the gospel. Uh, until next week. We'll be online again next week, same time, same place, 12 o'clock Mountain Time. And I thank you all for joining. God bless.